From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, Jr. probably the biggest item of the week was Governor Walker's State of the State address. He said it's been an amazing and historic year. Then he ticked off a laundry list of accomplishments, including more money for K-12 education, record low unemployment, securing the huge Foxconn LCD screen manufacturing plant, and eliminating the state property tax. What did you make of Walker's tone? In other words, um, did this sound like a campaign speech? Oh, absolutely. Every governor I've covered has used his state of state address in an odd-numbered year to set up his budget and an even-numbered year to queue up his reelection campaign. And Governor Walker is no different. This is a was an opportunity for Governor Walker to say, look where we are now in Wisconsin versus eight years ago. Uh, I know it drives Dems crazy that Governor Walker keeps referencing Jim Doyle, who hasn't been in office now since you know January of 2011. But Walker keeps using that as a metric that you know, unemployment in January of 18 was 3%. In January of 10, it was 9.2%. Talked about the investment in roads for his administration compared to Doyle's and on down the list. It's a trying, he's trying to deliver a message to people of, look where we are now compared to then. We have more work to do. Let's keep moving forward. Now, at the Democrats, uh, this speech was kind of a, uh, a, in the words of Gordon Hintz, the Assembly Minority Leader, kind of like a going out of business sale. Governor Walker is throwing everything the wall that he can to Democrats to see what sticks. He's seen the results in the special election, the 10th Senate District uh, in Wisconsin a couple weeks ago. He's seen results in Alabama and Virginia. He's seen the, the indications of a possible Democratic wave coming. He's trying to find ways to differentiate himself from Donald Trump, to differentiate himself from Washington, D.C., and gain a toehold with some voters who have suddenly kind of swung away from Republicans. Democrats came right out of the gate blasting the speech. Um, what were critics saying about Walker's assessment of his accomplishments? Well, Democrats generally felt like one of the lines was, he's, he's taking our ideas. That's what we heard a lot from Democrats. That suddenly he's sounding like a Democrat. He's talking about health care, talking about money for schools, um, things that they've pushed. They also looked at the $100 per child credit that he wants to do and said, hey, we, we as Democrats have been pushing a tax credit for uh, child care costs. These are all ideas that we like, although they want to see the details of what he's talking about before they commit to any of them. Uh, Republicans, they saw a lot of stuff in there they like, but they're not really fully embracing some of the ideas until they see the price tag and how it all work. We have, with the child tax credit, about $122 million, $50 million for a new development fund to help rural communities, $6.8 million, I think, or $6.7 million for aid for rural small school districts. So the price tag is adding up. Another big provision in the speech was about health care and helping the individual market. And for some Republicans, that to them is like propping up, in their words, Obamacare. Republicans have spent the last eight, nine years now really against Obamacare, want to see the Affordable Care Act collapse and go away, trying to repeal it. And now Walker's talking about stabilizing individual markets that are part of the program. Some Republicans have a hard time swallowing that right now. Walker clearly needs the Republican-controlled state legislature to do a few things for him in a short period of time. In his speech, um, as as we mentioned, he called on GOP lawmakers to approve a plan that would close the troubled Lincoln Hills Juvenile Prison in northern Wisconsin and effectively revamp that system. 
approve a $100 per child tax credit, and pass a number of welfare reforms. He wants all of this to happen before the legislature adjourns in March. So what is the likelihood of all this happening in the next six to eight weeks? Good question. Um, In talking to folks around the Capitol, I get the impression like the welfare bills that Walker wants to do, they're good for his base. They also poll well with moderate voters as well, even some Democrats from what Republicans tell me. I think those are a priority. The $100 per child credit, um, it's initially a sales tax rebate, so you just send checks directly to parents who have kids under 18 as of December 31st. They think that's maybe a little gimmicky, but some Republicans I talked to, but they still think it's uh, good politics to send people checks in an election year right before school starts and two months off the election, that that's a connection to voters of, oh, I got this check because Republicans are in charge and the state's doing well. So I think they might get that done. Um, the health care stuff is going to be interesting to watch. There's some Republicans, especially in the Senate, who are having a hard time with that piece. Not sure how that's going to work. The Lincoln Hills prison stuff, we still have Speaker Robin Voss, who's been working on his own plan. That would look more at a working with counties on housing youthful offenders. So there's a couple of question marks out there, but a lot of the stuff I think they will get knocked out. Because one thing for Republicans is, you know, this is Governor Walker's reelection. They want to be helpful to him, and they don't want to make him look weak. If they were to reject all of this stuff, it would make it look like Governor Walker can't lead the uh, Republicans' legislature. One thing you may have to do, though, is really kind of lobby individual lawmakers on this, which really hasn't been a strong point while he's been governor, but if he goes up there and puts the hard salt on these guys, it might help his case with some of these bills. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss seems to have a different idea regarding how to revamp the juvenile prison system. Do you think this will come down to a clash between Voss and Walker, and if so, would that cause a delay until next year? Well, we've also got Senate Majority Scott Fitzgerald in there in that mix. He has to agree to something as well as his caucus does. So I'm watching to see how that progresses. Uh, I believe that Fitz and Voss have met about this idea, at least to kind of start talking it out. It's going to get to be go time here before long about figuring something out. Because you look at the calendar, the assembly wants to be done uh, by the week of February 19th to 23rd, that kind of like second last week of February. They want to knock things out by then. That means they're looking at maybe four, five days on the floor to pass bills. There's an aggressive agenda right now, or at least a voluminous one, for them to pass if they want to do that. Oh, by the way, every lobbyist in Madison Every lawmaker of the pet project has got a bill that he or she wants to get done before then, too. There's a growing list of things that people are pushing to get done, and they have to figure out how to do that, plus Walker's priorities before they break. The Senate wants to be in until March and then go home, so we have a very rapidly closing window to get these things done. Uh, There was some fairly quick pushback from Walker's proposal to give every Wisconsin family, as we mentioned, $100 for each child under the age of 18 living at home. Right after Walker's speech, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss said he was very confident the idea would quickly pass, but the next day enthusiasm seemed to cool down. For example, Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald took sort of a we'll-see attitude, while a conservative radio host blasted the idea, saying it reeks of vote-buying. So what do you make of this pushback from within the GOP ranks? We'll see how it plays out. The early feedback that I've gotten from folks uh, in Republican circles in Madison is that there may be some people who have an issue with it. They'd rather put the the money into, for example, reducing income tax rates in general or doing something like that, because this tax credit would impact 671,000 households, according to Walker's administration. There are about 2.3 million households in Wisconsin, so you're not, everybody's not going to see a check. Uh, so there's that issue. But 
to get money in people's hands quickly, this is something that they're looking at. In past years, like in 2014, there was a significant surplus then. Republicans pumped that money into the property tax levy for tech colleges to lower property tax bills that homeowners saw in December of that year, and also use that money to do, redo our withholding tables for what taxes are withheld from your paychecks. What they realized is that voters didn't really see the benefit of some of that until after the election. They realized that those property tax bills went out in December, a month and a half after they went, voters went to the polls. So this is maybe a lesson from that of a more direct impact on people, or more of a direct connection of, oh, I got this check because of Republic, at least according to Republicans, because the policies that are pushing the state level then they resulted in this. Moving on to another big topic from last week, the state Senate rejected confirmation of the leaders of the Ethics and Elections Commission. Brian Bell and Mike Haas have been in their positions for about 18 months, but Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald said he had lost confidence in both men's abilities to be nonpartisan. Both men previously worked for the Government Accountability Board, which was involved in the John Doe investigation of Governor Walker and alleged illegal coordination with outside groups during the 2012 recall campaign. What might be the impact of this legislative rebuke of these two men? We're still trying to figure that out. Um, What we saw last week was the Elections Commission kind of ignored, in some ways, the Senate confirmation vote and voted 4-2 to reinstall Haas as an interim administrator, at least through um, the end of April. That did not sit well with Scott Fitzgerald, the Senate Majority Leader. Um, There could be legal action about whether they can do that. Uh, remember, these elections and ethics commissions are split 3-3 between Democratic and Republican appointees. The Republican appointee, who's a clerk, joined the Democrats to support bringing Haas back. The ethics commission, though, voted 5-1 to put off doing anything until February 27th, I think, or 25th. So they're delaying a decision, maybe being mindful of what happened with the elections commission and not want to get crossways with lawmakers about this. they got to figure out something that works because there's a real dispute about whether the commissions have the authority to reappoint these guys and what's going to happen next with that. It may take, I'm not a lawyer, it may take a a lawsuit to settle that question, but Senate Republicans are adamant these guys cannot take those old jobs, and Fitzgerald's pushing, saying that there needs to be a new administrator appointed for the Elections Commission, and if they don't replace Mike Haas, then lawmakers will do it on their own because they have that power. There's a vacancy for 45 days, they can fill that job, and that's what he's looking at right now. One of the more recent developments in this story, the chair of the Ethics Commission then said uh, Walker should remove Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm from office for running an investigation that cost Mike Haas his job. What is the likelihood of that happening? You know, John Chisholm has his critics in the conservative community because of the John Doe investigations. They've tried a number of tactics to get, to get rid of him. They've, they've go after him. They've, they've sued him in federal court. They tried to, they've called for the governor to remove him. Um, They tried to find a primary opponent for him. None of it's worked so far. I don't get the impression that Governor Walker wants to wade into this and remove John Chisholm from office. Um, It would not look good for him to do that ahead of his reelection. Obviously, John Chisholm was part of John Doe too, which looked at Governor Walker's uh, gubernatorial campaign and coordination outside conservative groups during the recall elections. Chisholm's part of John Doe 1, which resulted in charges, or sorry, convictions of seven associates or aides of Governor Walker from his time as county executive. For Walker to go in then and remove Chisholm would really not sit well with some people and would probably 
anger some folks. So I don't get the impression he's interested in that fight. Also, we heard from somebody last week that we haven't heard from in a while, former Trump chief of staff and Wisconsin native Reince Priebus. He endorsed Republican State Senator Leah Vukmir over the Steve Bannon-supported candidate Kevin Nicholson in the GOP primary for Democrat Tammy Baldwin's U.S. Senate seat. Priebus says he's not buying that Nicholson is a true Republican after he previously served as national president of the college Democrats. So how much sway does Priebus have in his endorsement of Leah Vukmir? In my time covering politics, I've been taught that when it comes to endorsements, unless they come with money and infrastructure, they typically aren't real game changers. Now, that's not to say this isn't important. Um, Lee Vukmir can point to a former head of the state Republican, state and national Republican parties uh, supporting her, endorsing her. Um, that's not a bad thing. But what's interesting, though, is that this endorsement and the ensuing fight over is reinforcing the dynamic of this primary. And by that, I mean that Kevin Nicholson is trying to make the case that he's this outsider. You know, he's somebody who's trying to shake up the system. and The establishment feels threatened by him. So to his supporters, of course, Reince Priebus is going to endorse Lee Vukmir. And of course, he's going to go after Kevin because they're afraid of what Kevin offers. For Lee Vukmir, she can say, look, this endorsement from Reince Priebus is another indicator that there are questions about the authenticity of Kevin Nicholson's story. Here's a guy who was head of the College Democrats in 2000, and now here he is in 2018, portraying himself as a conservative Republican who wants to be the next U.S. Senator from Wisconsin. What's going on? Is this really somebody you can trust? Now, of course, Priebus, in promoting his endorsement, was questioning why Nicholson had been more involved in Republican politics in Wisconsin. Um, but he didn't raise money for the party or go help candidates like Ron Johnson, that that would have maybe shown he was more than just somebody kind of coming out of the woodwork to run. Uh, Nicholson's kind of shot back was, well, he was overseas fighting a war that wasn't a state convention to attend. So that's not something he could have done. Uh, but this is, for Tammy Baldwin, she's watching saying, okay, if these guys really get in a nasty primary, and you know, this is kind of indicator things to come, that would only help her come November to have these guys be going after each other and possibly splitting the party and spending resources going after each other rather than going after her. All right. Thanks for joining us, JR. Anytime. That's WizPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>